Warning, the following podcast contains adult language and childish comedy. Listener discretion is advised. And now, please adjust your headphone volume to an unreasonable level and enjoy the most dynamic and electrifyingly entertaining podcast ever to conquer cyberspace. friends and welcome to the most powerful podcast ever created the amazing pop culture podcast starring dags and rest today we have a powerful episode and as always somewhere deep in cyberspace is magical mike like dj rez hello dags hello amazing friends here i am talking to you from cyberspace it's amazing that 10 years ago this would not be possible but yet here we are welcome back friends to the most powerful podcast ever created. Today we have a powerful show. We're very excited. We are going to talk Vietnam movies, Vietnam music, Apocalypse Now, Redo, Redux, however Micro DJ Rez wants to pronounce it, <laughs> and a powerful song of the day, 19. Now let's just get into it, Micro DJ Rez. All right. So I picked powerful movie, Apocalypse Now, Redo. Have you seen it before? I had not seen it before. I hadn't seen the, the original or the redo. And have you heard the song of the day? You know, I have not. It was uh, quite interesting. It's like two two new things for me here today. Yes, we are here to educate. We are here to love. Now, the powerful song of the day is 19. 19 is a song by a powerful UK artist, Paul Hardcastle. Not to be confused with Hardcastle and McCormick, a powerful 80s TV show. <laughs> now, this song was the first single released from his self-titled fourth album, Paul Hardcastle. The song is basically an anti-war song, and it's focusing on the U.S.'s involvement in the Vietnam War. One thing that was notable about the track back then and now is one of the first ones to use sampling, process speech. In particular, there's a couple words that are, if you hear the song, you'll know, then in the 19 and destruction. Kind of a Max Headroom kind of vibe. Right. And there's a ton of redubbing sampling. They put in crowd noise. They put in, you know, military stuff. And it was based on Paul Hardcastle saw this show. It was a news show on uh, the Vietnam War, uh, Vietnam Requiem. It was on ABC. And it was showing how the Vietnam veterans were going through a post-traumatic stress disorder. So he was, like, young, and he was hanging out in the U.K., and he's like, you know, I'm sitting here partying, and these guys are out in the jungle getting shot at. So the, the 19 comes from the statistic, the average age of the combat soldier in Vietnam was 19, comparing it to World War II, which is 26. But they said that's kind of, those numbers really don't add up. The song is cool because it's, it's electro, but it's also got this cool beat to it, influenced by Africa, Bombada. He jazzes it up, and it's cool because it's, it's got the emulator that samples those bits, you know, the 19. Yeah, it uh, was very new wavy. I didn't expect it to be so pop music sounding, actually, because it, it kind of, the, the genre of the music kind of doesn't fit the message that he's trying to get across, because usually you hear, you know, to me, I'm used to hearing like the classic rock sound when it comes to anti-war songs. So it, ain't was, uh, it ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no senator. So. Right, yeah. So. It just kind of threw me threw me off for, yeah. for a second there. Behind the electro beat. Right. Yeah, as far as uh, DJ Micro Rez and the tracking, 
In the UK, it went all the way up to number one. But as always, in the Billboard Hot 100, clawed its way up to 15. It was a huge hit overseas. Right, yeah. I'm looking at the charts now. I mean, everywhere in Europe, it was number one, number two. There's a four in there. France, it hit 15. Australia, it was 10. It's number 78 on the VH1 Top 100 Greatest One-Hit Wonders of the 80s. Um, so it was it was very popular when this was released. Ton of remixes. But then, uh, you know, people complain because it was anti-war. And, it, you know, they put stuff out of context. They made the guy goes like, I don't know what was going on, you know. It's, right. So a lot of, you know, left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. And a lot of people think maybe that's why it didn't track as high in the U.S., Right. So, Mike or DJ Rez, what do you? What is your take? What did you think of that song? I think so. The song itself uh, is interesting. Like I said, it's not every day you hear a synth pop, electric, new wave song that's got anti-war themes to it. Um, the video itself on YouTube is uh, quite interesting, as it throws in a lot of news footage from Vietnam. Um, you know, you know, soldiers in battle and soldiers wounded from battle. Lots of explosions, uh, you know, the type of stuff you see from Vietnam documentaries are inside of this video. I don't know. I guess it's it's a British man's British musician's take on on the war and from an American perspective, which I think is kind of weird, which is going to, you know, it's going to piss some people off, especially here in America, because obviously the way he sees it is not the same way the United States saw it. Uh, some people were for the war. Some people were against the war. It was, I mean, it was a big deal here. It still is when you talk to people who lived through the protests and everything. So I don't know. I just think it's kind of strange that a British musician would try to tell the story of Vietnam through the eyes of an American when they're not here. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. It's kind of, kind of odd. I mean, I have feelings about Vietnam in general, but I have somebody from so across let's, let's the take, pond let, to get let's, into it. Let's take out the politics. Let's take out the feelings. Just a song. Let's just say it was sampling something else. What do you think of the song itself? It's catchy. I mean, I could see why people like it. If, you know, like Europe is more of a dance beat. Yes. Ge- geographically speaking, they're more dance beat. Um, so I can see why, you know, like disco. I think they still have like disco discos there, <laughs> especially in Germany. So Oh, love disco. Yeah, they love that that stuff over there a lot more than we do here i mean we enjoy it but man i think that's like we're just stayed (laughs) they just own it now they just change the hi-hat up a little bit right yeah exactly turns out you know they use that sample from that show documentary so they ended up having to pay massive royalties to the peter thomas the guy that was doing the voiceover yeah yeah you can't just take someone's voice and hope they don't notice (laughs) especially if your song becomes a hit everywhere so out of five max headrooms, what are you giving Ooh. this song, Mike or DJ Riz? Uh, I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a four for for effort. Four. It's, for it's effort. a new take on a anti-war song. Yes, I enjoyed I it. I think it's catchy. I enjoyed it. I'm giving it four point five max headrooms. Uh, DJ Mike max Riz. Headroom. Yes, he was good because he he stuttered also. <laughs> it's a speech impediment yes. i think he went through went through a lot of pain growing up he went through a lot yes now micro dj res powerful segue into vietnam one of the most ultimate vietnam war movies apocalypse now and we saw the redo the redux version start us off micro dj res all right well apocalypse now redo uh came out in 2001 
This is the uh, extended version of Francis Ford Coppola's epic war film that came out in 1979 uh, of kind of the same name, Apocalypse Now, I think. Everybody knows Apocalypse Now um, that has paid attention to cinema in the last 40, 50 years. So Francis Ford Coppola and uh, his editor uh, that worked on the movie, uh, Walter Murch, they added 49 minutes of material that they removed from the initial release. And it's a significant re-edit of the original version. So usually, you know, you get the director's cut and you can barely tell what they have, what they added, but 49 minutes is a lot of material that they put back in. Yes. So I hadn't seen either one of them. So to me, this was brand new. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So I don't know what was added, what wasn't added. Um, You can go online and figure that stuff out if you want, but it's just cool how they, how they tackle it. So Coppola began production on the new cut with uh, one of his partners, Kim Aubrey. And then he tried to get Merch involved as well, the editor. He was reluctant at first um, and thought it would just be difficult recutting the film that uh, originally took two years to edit. I mean, that's right there. That's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of footage and a lot of material. In the original movie, mm-hmm. 1.5 million feet of film. See, that's crazy. That is a lot of two, film. That's 240 recorded. hours. Jeez. To get a two, get to like a two and a half hour movie in the original cut. Amazing. Which is, that's crazy to think how much stuff, how much stuff didn't make the movie. Yeah. They always talk about the cutting room floor. Right. Yeah. There's, do you think, you know, that was deep. Coppola and Merch uh, then examines uh, several of the rough prints and dailies for the film. So they decided that uh, to edit this film, the redo from the original, they were just going to start over and uh, edit it like it was the first time they were editing the movie, which I think worked better instead of trying to find the spots you want to add the footage to. I think trying to tackle it from as if, okay, we just finished filming this. Well, let's let's get this done. Uh, No, they had some new music that was recreated and recorded for the redo. They also had to get some of the actors back to do some more dubbing and to re-record uh, some of their voices for some of the audio tracks, which uh, I think is interesting that even back then they had the, the technology to to do that. So it was done for the scenes that made it into the original cut, but they were, but not for the deleted scenes. So they redid the scenes that were already in the movie, uh, the stuff they added, they just kept the audio for that. So, which is, which I think is pretty cool. But it contains the film contains several alterations and two entirely new scenes altogether. Like I said, I never saw the first one, so to me it was the first movie. So I I wasn't looking at it as okay, where did they add these? I just watched it as an original film. It's over three hours long though, uh, the redo. So you're gonna have to put some put some time aside if you want to check this out. We uh, it's on Netflix, and I'm not sure where else it's available. But uh, if you have Netflix and you have three hours. Uh, to watch this movie, by all means, do it. Well, it's kind of fun for me, though, Degs, is that I got to watch it from the perspective of never seeing it before. Um, and then I was looking at, like, how how they did certain scenes in the movie, and I just thought it was... At first, I was like, okay, this I don't get it, but then as I thought about it, it made more sense to me on how some of these scenes were, what they're meant to project and how they add to the depth of the characters. Yeah, I got to see it. In the movie theater, which is pretty cool on film. You saw the redo in the movie theater? I did. Okay. Did you see the the original in the movie theater? No, unfortunately. Huh. 
Interesting. What I find funny, and I don't know if it's Netflix trying to be trying to pull a fast one on you, but the person they show on the thumbnail is Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford has like a total of ten minutes in the movie. Yes. <laughs> but in in Martin Sheen, who's like the real star of the movie, has almost all three hours of the movie. So you think they would show Martin Sheen over Harrison Ford, but I guess with the Star Wars stuff, well, they try to yeah, well, market it as much as possible. Yeah, it's kind of interesting if you look at who was originally going to be in the movie. So originally he wanted, Francis Ford Copeland wanted Steve McQueen, but it turns out Steve McQueen didn't want to do it because he didn't want to be away from his family so long in the jungle. Oh, sure. But it also turned out he was sick with cancer. Uh-huh. And he ended up dying four years later. But the list of who is going to be the number one character is Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Can you imagine Jack Nicholson? No, I'm like, <laughs> like right away. I was just thinking like, cause that's like right about the time of one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? <laughs> what would pretty, he say? Pretty close. <laughs> or the shining. <laughs> are you going to do your Jack Nicholson? <laughs> God, I don't even know how, what, what line to even use from the movie for his Jack Nicholson. <laughs> As Willard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, i could see him playing like the marlon brando character the <laughs> the colonel that's gone crazy he's <laughs> nice camo <laughs> i can't handle the jungle <laughs> <laughs> so we got oh, jack man. nicholson robert redford and james Kahn. all turned it down oh but, i could see james Kahn doing yes. it but i always i always mix up james Kahn and robert duvall anyway they're like both oh. the same type of dudes, you know. <laughs> right. Well, you know. Yeah, I mean, how how would you Godfather. be able to? How would you be able to tell them apart on screen? Because you're right, Robert Duvall and James Conner are the same actor, basically. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then next, he went to Al Pacino. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to tell me I gotta go up that river <laughs> and kill Colonel Kurtz. <laughs> We're going 75 clicks. We're going to kick ass. ass. <laughs> Whoa. Get back this in the vault, long. chief. <laughs> hey, hey, soldier. Who's your CEO? <laughs> <laughs> Seemed to be like every other line, Martin Sheen. And then they, Who's your CEO? <laughs> then they arrived on Harvey Keitel. What? But he, he actually got hired, and he was hanging out really? there a while, and then they ended up firing him. <laughs> yeah. I guess he hated it there anyway. And it just, the thing with Harvey Keitel is Harvey Keitel is one of those dudes that he's an actor and he has an ego and he wants to be seen on film. So he's right. like, so he wants to be front and center. But in this, the character, he's just a, a dude and he's low key. The problem is if you had Al Pacino or any of those guys, even Al Pacino back then, it would have been over the top versus Mar- Martin Sheen where he's low key. And it's and it's not about him. It's it's about the whole movie and all the different characters and how it all goes together. So they were afraid Harvey Keitel would be too much about him and he would, you know, try to get the camera on him. And same with Steve McQueen. I guess Steve McQueen back in the day used to do little things. Even Steve McQueen, even if he wasn't in the main scene, he'd be in the background doing stuff just so, the, <laughs> so he'd be noticed. Right. Yeah. Well, you got you know you got to be. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable. You're a movie star. Right, yeah. So Martin Sheen oh turned out to be the perfect. And like I say, looking back, those other guys, I don't know, Jack Nicholson. And, <laughs> like you said, Jack know. Nicholson as Marlon Brando's character. 
I that would have been that. better. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Not that Marlon Brando did a terrible yeah. job. No, no, no. He did, but see, and I hadn't seen this one. <laughs> wait, so wait, wait, wait. I, I got it. I got it. So it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's Jack Nicholson as Kurtz, but then it's Tom Cruise <laughs> as Martin Sheen. <laughs> say, did you come to kill me? I came to kill you. You can't handle killing <laughs> Anything I oh, can God. do for you, Danny. <laughs> I'm here to help you. <laughs> so, oh man so go over the plot real quick yeah so martin sheen's character is i don't know he's he's the captain he's a captain in the army but he's kind of like a special forces army captain where his his job is to go on special missions for the cia and for yeah he does other government he agencies does dark black stuff yes right but it his missions don't don't ever exist type stuff and in this mission, he is going to find uh, Mar- Marlon Brando, who's kind of gone off the deep end. Yes, he uh, went rogue. Mentally, yeah. And he started, he and he took some of his men and they started working their way up through uh, through Cambodia, uh, which you're not supposed to be in uh, back then. And kind of, they're trying to find him and they kind of found a camp he set himself up in. And, and he, Marlon Brando's character, was wanted for killing some North Vietnamese special agents. They were kind of like double agents. They were posing as South Vietnamese soldiers, and he found out about it. But, yeah, the he was going rogue and, and doing other nefarious things that the Army yes. was not happy about. And so they send uh, Martin Sheen in there to go kill him uh, on a top-secret mission. They hook him up with uh, a couple of uh, Navy sailors and a gunboat, and it was uh, their mission to bring him upriver without knowing what they were getting themselves into, not knowing where they were going, um, and just just to escort him to make sure he got to where he needed to go. And then it's a lot of fucking chaos, man. Yes. I wanted to just <laughs> jump in real quick. What's cool is Harrison Ford, he ordered him to terminate Kurtz's command with extreme prejudice. Right, Which yeah. is cool because it reminded me of the guns of Navarone when they went on that mission. Right. And then, of course, Force 10, Harrison Ford was in it. It's all right, full exactly. circle, DJ Michael yes. isn't it? Yes. And so Harrison Ford, he looks like he's in between Star Wars and Indiana Jones in this movie. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, so it, it's kind of funny. But there's a lot of people in this movie. Lawrence Fishburne is in it, and he's one of the guys on the on the boat. He was 14 uh, years old when he did it. He's 14 in he that lied. movie? lied. By the t- Are you kidding no. me? No. And by the time the movie came out, he was 18. <laughs> by the time it was all said and done, yes, 14. Holy he cow. Him. He does not look 14. He looks like he's in his early 20s. That's late what, teens. That's what war does to you, man. That's what mom does to you. I guess. All right. But yeah, carry he, on. he plays a really good character uh, in the movie. So, so they're going uh, up the river. The movie, yeah, they're going up the river. Uh, they make multiple stops along the way. It's a long trip. Uh, they run into Robert Duvall and his. Uh, oh my god! Um, it's the first like colonel commanding officer they run into. He's part of the air cavalry. William Bill um, Kilgore. Yeah, and it's just my god. That's a great character. That whole like segment of that that movie is probably yes. the best part of isn't movie. his name great Kilgore? Kilgore, yeah i mean he's he's a commanding officer that whose guys love him gets the job done and they still have time to surf 
Yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what more would you want? Not only do you have time to surf, but you have time to surf during a, a battle. So, and you command two of your guys to go out there and hit those breaks just to show off to the professional surfboarder that is with Martin Sheen throughout the movie. Yeah, they got to go <laughs> surfing. So, right. of course, he's got to clear the beach. So he calls in an airstrike. Yeah. Like, a, like I've always said, crazy. DJ Michael Rez, every movie should have an airstrike and every song should have a drum fill. Right. What I like about that, you know, it's it's probably one of the coolest helicopter scenes you'll see in a war movie where they just, you know, it's, it's a cavalry, you know, regiment. So they have different, different types of helicopters and they're playing flight of the Valkyrie. <laughs> oh, when they, Oh, the oh. scene when they come in. Yeah. And take out the, yeah. Yes. Right. So it's just, it's crazy. They're, they're one of the helicopters has the boat that they're traveling on. And <laughs> it's just, it, that's like the first sign of, each move, one of these scenes in this movie is going to be nothing but chaos. And that's what it is. It, I mean, it just, it sets the tone. He's so cool. Yeah. He's so cool. He's larger than life. And you know, he's a, he's a mismatch of different, you know, George Patton and those type of, you know, characters and how right. he's just standing there almost just glowing and they're all yeah. hit, hitting the deck and he's just standing <laughs> there and mortars are going off and he's not even phased by it. No, yeah, he's pissed because they dropped napalm and it's ruining the the surf. And then, yeah. and then he he says, you know, the classic line, he loves the smell of napalm in the morning. Right, yeah. Like there's a lot of a lot of good uh, good lines in this movie. Well, he's not mad and about he, the napalm. I mean, he want he wanted the napalm. He was mad at them chunking mortars at him, so he couldn't surf. So he called in the airstrike to just <laughs> wipe him out, so he could surf. Right. Yeah. Yes. In, it just <laughs> kind of they end up uh Martin Sheen and his his guys end up stealing one of the surfboards, which is great because uh you see in the next scene that uh, Robert Duvall's character is more more interested in getting his surfboard back as he's sending helicopters <laughs> in the air searching for him just so he can get his his surfboard back. They're going up the river, and one of the characters' name his name is chef. Uh, as they're hiding from the helicopters after they steal a surfboard, they decide he wants to go get some mangoes. So he's from New Orleans, chef. He's from New Orleans, and he's a, a sauce chef. Uh, and that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to be in Vietnam. He wants to be making food and, and feeding people. That's what he feels his calling is. So, But he wants to go get some mangoes. So he gets off the boat. Martin Sheen goes with him. Uh, they don't find any mangoes, but they do find a tiger. Uh, which is kind of a, a funny scene in its own right. Uh, it scares the, the shit out of them. And uh, they go back to the boat, and then uh, all Chef says is never get off the boat, which is kind of funny because then they just spend the next two hours getting off the boat. That tiger scene, really, it, it made me laugh because uh, I used to work with a guy, Diggs. His name was uh, Bin Lee, uh, and he was a, a Vietnamese guy who fought in Vietnam with uh, the South Vietnam Army, and he had to uh, bring in the United States Army into the jungle once in a while. He was their scout. Um, and so he was telling me uh, one of the stories um, when he, was, he wasn't with any of, the, of our Army units, but it was him and three other guys from the South Vietnamese Army. They got lost in the jungle, and they couldn't find their way back to their camp. And they were lost in the jungle for two weeks. And they're starving, and they're thirsty. Um, and one of the guys they were with realized that they were being followed. And when 
two of the guys went back to see if they could get behind who who was following them. They found out it was a tiger that had been stalking them wow. for like a day or two. And they ended up killing the tiger and eating it to survive. <laughs> so yeah, so that it was kind of funny that I saw that. I'm wondering how many people are going, oh that that probably never happened. There's probably never any tigers near any anybody. Yes, there was. There were tigers as well in the jungle that they had to deal with. So so yeah, that that just made me chuckle. I was like, holy crap. I was like, Ben told me that same story. So that really did happen. I mean, there were many other stops along the way, but yes. every every stop was more chaos than the next. The Playboy stop. Yep, there was the Playboy stop. There was the bridge uh, stop. Well, and then in between that, there was another Playboy stop. So, I mean, the Playboy bunnies are in two scenes yes. down the river. And, then there's and the... it just, it's just crazy. Then the bridge at night where they can't find a CO. And then the, but French, the French family. The French family was another one. And it just, uh, it's just crazy. To, I mean, how many <laughs> different spots they stopped and the next, I mean, every stop was more chaotic than the next. And it just, for a while I was like, okay, I can't take this movie anymore. It's, there's too much going on. I don't know if I was like on sensory overload or just couldn't, you know, I just, was like, man, catch a break. Just get to where you're supposed to be going already. <laughs> but I mean, it's what kind of makes the movie and how you get involved with the characters themselves. So after I thought about it, it made sense why they, why they, what they did, what they did. So, oh, it's all about the journey, my friend. Not the destination. That is true. That is correct. So let's talk about the destination ending up in Kurtz's lair. Yeah, that was. Uh, so you meet. Dennis Hopper, who is a photojournalist, who obviously would have been an easy target for cults back here in the United States, in his his opening monologue to Martin Sheen is another one that I've heard before, and I didn't know where it was from, but as soon as I heard him talking, and he was talking about how Marlon Brando was a poor poet warrior, then uh, I was like, oh wait, I've heard this before on the radio a couple times. Uh, so then that kind of made the connection for me. I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. Now I know where this that part's from. Uh, but they are talking about who Marlon Brando's character was, what he was doing. They kind of set up his own little cult where he's got uh, Cambodians and South Vietnamese and some of his own men um, kind of defending this compound, uh, which is seemed like just a spot for people to get really high and just kind of hang out and when they don't like you, they kill you. And when they kill you, they leave your body out to rot and they cut your head off and put them on spikes. And it's just, it was just like this weird commune. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just, it encompassed the sixties, the whole vibe of it. It culminates in the, the slaughtering of the water Buffalo. Yeah. Which was a trippy scene uh, in its own right. The, the thing I think they kind of lost, they lost me anyway with this, the scene when they find Marlon Brando is the timeline. Um, because is it, has it just been a day or has it been a couple of days from the time he gets up there and they kind of surround him to the time they show chef back on the, on the boat. Is he going to call in an airstrike or not? Cause it seemed like a couple of days had passed because they had Martin Sheen in, in like a uh, bamboo cell and it looked like he had been tortured a little bit, but then it, seemed like it only been like a couple hours had passed, which I, it just kind of threw me off. I just couldn't quite get the timeline uh, on any of that near the end. And this, that whole 
last half hour of the Do you movie. think that was due to the dreamlike quality? You know how like dreams don't have beginnings and ends and it's just kind of nonlinear? Possibly. Yeah, because I mean, like honestly, at that point, what is time, right? I mean, you've gone through this river, now you're trying to figure out what the heck is going on and and it seems like Martin or uh, Marlon Brando knows what Martin Sheen is doing there. But yet he still trusts him enough where after Prophetic, he tortures yeah, him a little almost, bit. Yeah. yeah, he's like, well, you can be, you can walk around without a guard. Who cares? Yes. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe trying not to die by saying, "Here, I'll, I'll torture you and beat you up a little bit, kill your men." But I trust you enough to, yeah, we, to be around. That Lance guy, that's the professional surfboarder, is just he like trips on acid and never comes off the acid trip. Yeah, well, that's like, is that was that his true destiny to become that, or I mean, did he change, or was he like that all the time? And Right. You know, it's it's like the you know, the doors, which is what'd you think of the opening scene? Uh and they played the was, end. Yeah, they played the end and he was like laying in bed and watching a ceiling fan. That kinda I personally I think that scene was too long. <laughs> I liked I liked his like upside down head. I mean I love that. I liked the the you know, the now it's cliche, but you see the ceiling fan and it's a it's the rotors of a helicopter. Yeah, that that was cool. I like that how and, they tied that in. Yeah, and Jim Morrison is the Doors is named after book Huxley. The Doors of Perception, like there are things known and things unknown, and between them are doors. They go through like the whole part of who Martin Sheen's character is, but none of that really matters once the movie goes gets going. Yes. So it just it seemed like that was. I know they're setting up who his character is, but you could still have the same movie and still feel the same way at the end about Martin Sheen without knowing that background of his character. What's cool about the movie is that people see different things into it. Right. I don't know if you caught it, um, but the the scene at the plantation um, after everybody kind of yells at Martin Sheen and their, their different beliefs about the war and what America's role is and the French role and the French kind of like the French history of wars going on. But near the end of that scene, uh, when the French plantation owner kind of yells, you know, tells them like uh, the United States is wrong and, and they'll stay there as long as it takes to defend their plantation. And he gets up and the, and the, the room gets dark. I don't know if you noticed that where it's kind of like it was nice and sunny and he spends half, most of that scene trying to keep the sun out of his eyes. So that it was too bright. It's like as the intensity of the fighting goes on, Verbal, the verbal fighting, the brighter the sun is getting and the more it's starting to annoy him. Yes. And then when it gets to the end of the climax of the scene, it goes dark. Yeah, it's kind of cool. like the sun is saying, yeah, I was like, holy yeah. crap, that's pretty cool, man. I always talk about a movie, it's got a, a great, a good movie's got a great scene in it. Well, this movie's got a bunch of different great scenes. And just the shadows and the composition. And if you freeze framed on any of it, it's a painting. I mean, the composition, the colors. Right. And I mean, everything like when his, when he pops out of the water, the mud on his face. I mean, yeah. That, that, it's, I thought that was smart because then the predator can't see you. Exactly. Well, see right. that that's, that's, you find out all the movies where they rip off stuff. Right. You know, Predator <laughs> and, and all the platoon and all the different war movies. Yeah. It's kind of the saving private Ryan scene, our feel to it. You know, it's like they got to go find the guy. Yeah. So. But, but it's just like anything else. Each, Movies build off of every movie, you know. Right. The movie tropes and the cliches, but I mean, just the cinematography, the color, the the music, the doors. I mean, 
selecting the songs. I mean, it's just a great film. Yeah. The, the cinematography, like you said, it's, it's top notch. I mean, each scene, like I, like I just said about the plantation scene in each scene, you can pick out something they did on purpose that is subtle where somebody just watching it wouldn't notice. But if you're trying to like pick up on the, the wowness and the, in the, cinematography factor but you're just like holy crap that was actually pretty smart the way they yes. did that no that's cool you picked up on that yeah and a lot of times it if if everything goes together it's not one thing that sticks out that's why it makes it good you know right it's just the totality of it yeah it's almost like four or five short films put into one made into one story yes. really yeah it's based on a a, a book a short book novella yeah makes sense Yes, I should probably read it. No, reading sucks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but that's that's about a war in the Congo. Right. It came out in the late 1800s. Yeah, I mean, in actuality, you could take this story and put it against any war throughout the history of time. Because it, it doesn't, it's, this movie is, the backdrop is the Vietnam War. It's not about the Vietnam War. But you could change the details of it to fit any any yeah, war it's, it's or anything it's a man's journey i mean mythology reminds me of it's the the story of just trying to get home like the Iliad, the odyssey right or after the war he tries to get home and things happen to him on the way this one you know he's going on a mission and that's like you know when they come across that fishing boat with the puppy in there right and he does what he does it's just because he just wants to go on the mission. He's just like a machine. Right. Yeah, and his whole his whole goal, like we were talking about an actor that with a big ego wouldn't work as well, because it, it's more like his whole goal is just to do the mission. But then he gets sidetracked, and that's kind of like in the Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, just trying to get home to his wife, but stuff sidetracks him. You know, when you meet sirens in the river, you, know, you just yes. got to do what you got to do. Exactly. So did you enjoy this movie? Mike or DJ Russ? I did enjoy this movie. I actually, there was, like I said, it's, it's over three hours long. Yeah. I warned you. And I it have. was kind of, you did, you did warn me. Yeah. It was kind of chaotic in the beginning. And then as I watched it, um, I, I kind of started getting what was going on. So then when you're able to like figure that out and you can enjoy the movie, uh, for what it is and, and what they're trying to do, um, and why, why people like it. Um, like I said, it's, it's not a Vietnam movie, but it's half set during Vietnam. Um, so go into that thinking about that. So don't it's think it's not a Christmas out. movie. <laughs> it it's not here. a Christmas movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, I don't know. I don't want to call it a dark movie, but it's definitely a serious movie. So uh, don't 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 bring the kids into the living room while you it's watch. Very this, psychological. So. Yes, it's very psychological. And, and the mo- the book that I talked about in eighteen ninety nine was called The Heart of Darkness. So, I mean, okay. is, and he, obviously, the horror of the horror. So, right, yeah, is, yeah. It, you know, and it's also. Yeah, that, those last lines by uh, Marlon Brando are pretty cool. Yes. So, but I did see, when, when you see Marlon Brando and hear him talk, all you think about is The Godfather. Did you? Just, yeah. Just saying. <laughs> well, and think about all the great movies he's made before. Right. And. And did you hear about all the stuff that went on to make this movie? I did not, but I can only imagine uh, what happened, especially I mean, anytime Sheen, Brando. Martin, Martin Sheen had a heart involved. attack. 
I mean, it just goes on and on making the movie. Yeah. yeah, it was just just a disaster. I guess he he threw out all his Academy Awards out the window once because <laughs> nothing was going good. You know, it's, it's supposed to be it's like Gilligan's Island is supposed to be a three-hour tour and ended up forever. Right. That was the same thing. <laughs> so when, it's just like, kept going on yeah, and on. Yeah, and stuff on. happens at Murphy's Law and all that. Right. I mean, it's the old thing, you know, the, oh, how long will they? Oh, it's a five-minute job. No, it's not. Nothing's yeah. ever a five-minute job. <laughs> so any, anytime you plan for something, it never turns out the way you want it to. So there's a right. whole there's a whole story. <laughs> there's even a movie, Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse. It talks about, I mean, he had the sets were destroyed by weather. Randall showed Jeez. up super overweight and didn't even know what was going on. He was just prepared, <laughs> unprepared. Martin Sheen was having like a nervous breakdown. And then he almost died having a heart attack. Nice. Yes. And then he <laughs> Lawrence had, Fishburne's 14. And then he had to edit a million. Um, can you imagine editing over a million feet of film? No, that's why it I took don't, two years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even two years. I don't know. Yeah. It's amazing it was ever gotten done, basically. Gotten done. Got done. Yes. I can't even talk. That's fine. You were just overwhelmed by the film. I was very overwhelmed. Now, Micro DJ Res, let's give our review <laughs> out of five machetes. Machete. <laughs> five machetes. What are you giving this film? Uh, I'm giving this four and uh, four and a half machetes. I uh, I appreciate the film for what it is, um, and then looking back at it, I, I like it better than you know, I originally thought. Me look, so I'm giving it four and a half. Me looking back, I wish you would have just watched Apocalypse Now. The original it, one? Yes, because the 50 minutes they added, I don't think they needed to add it. No, but... But so it's cool. You, we but, weren't going to... But, but I know, but, but it's cool you saw it because it's all different now. Right. I mean, it's nothing like it's nothing like George Lucas, you know, destroying those Star Wars movies. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, the explosions didn't get better. Or do you think no. of, you know, like uh, Mona Lisa? Let me fix that smile on her. That's kind of messed up. <laughs> right. I'm yeah. Redo that. Mona Lisa redo. Mona Lisa redo. There you go. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, I uh, the original the plantation scene was different, so I would have looked at that differently. I'm sure. Um, just because of some of the footage they added was that scene. So yeah, I still uh, I still think it should have been Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can't well, handle the jungle. <laughs> it it has to be Jack Nicholson, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and Tom Cruise after the Outsiders. Would you have Demi Moore so, in there or not? Oh yeah, you have to put Demi Moore in there. You know what? And then just for for shits and giggles, throw in. Um, uh, who is Tom Cruise's ex-wife? What's her name? The one that married to the country singer now. Ah, uh, why can't I think? Anyway, that's a bad, bad thing to read. Try to, to remember names when you can't even remember names. That's fine. Who are you trying to remember? Anyway. Tom Cruise's exes? Yeah, Tom Cruise's ex-wife. So I had Mimi she's, Rogers, she's married to, uh, to Penelope Keith, Cruz. We had Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman, yeah. that's who. I'm just going through all the so, fake, uh, fake women that he was. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean the. His real, <laughs> his real relationships he was with. Yeah, I was going to say Nicole Kidman, but after she got done filming BMX Bandits, throw her in there as that. Yes. So, what are you giving this rating? Well, this well movie hold on. Uh, instead of Lawrence Fishburne, I'm uh, I would have Gary Coleman do it. Oh, <laughs> that would be a different movie. Yes, for sure. I am giving it 
I mean, it's one of the best war movies. If you know, I but I can't give it perfect because I would chop some out. Who am I? Who am I to say? <laughs> I don't know if I would do a redo. Right. Four point seven five machetes. Okay, sounds Machete. good. You know what? I just. If we're recasting the movie, the professional surfboarder would have to be Ryan Reynolds. Whoa. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Not Ryan like, Gosling? Nope. No, no, no. He can be, uh, he can be somebody else. Because then you'd be like, hey, professional surfer, aren't you uh, no, Ryan no, Reynolds? No, no. I'm saying. Like, yeah, I'm Ryan Reynolds. No, I, I got Owen Wilson. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely uh. Owen Wilson. I like yours better. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh my God, that would be yes, that would be awesome. But I want Sean Penn in the movie too. Well, he can be the uh, guy from New Orleans. Have you seen uh, Casualties of War? Um, no, I have not. Is that uh, the one with Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox? Yes. Okay, I have not seen that one. I've seen, um, uh, you know, like have Platoon you, and Have you seen Hamburger Hill? Um, uh, no, that was one I was just thinking of too. Saw platoon. Seen platoon. We were soldiers. Um, trying to think of what other Vietnam movies I've seen. Cause there's a lot of, um, good morning, Vietnam. Seen that one. Uh, different, different type of Vietnam movie, but Full metal jacket. Yes. I saw that oh, one okay. a long time ago, but yes, I have seen that. That's one. worth a rewatch. That's, yeah. That's definitely. two films in one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause you have the, yes. The boot camp movie, and then you've got the Vietnam movie. So you want some trivia? Sure. Lee, Lee Ermey was in this movie too. Gunny Sergeant. Really? Yes. What? Uh, he was a helicopter was he pilot. Oh yes. Uncredited. Yes, yes. 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 Is that cool? You're right. I was trying to remember because there's a lot of people in here that I'm like, okay, I know him from something. Where do I know him from? <laughs> and you're right. He was he was the helicopter pilot, the yes. one that was powerful, the lead helicopter for the CO. Powerful. Yep. Great. Yeah, didn't film. they? Didn't he like destroy? Like uh, he called out the the fifty uh, fifty caliber, right? That they destroyed in that village when they were. And he was like, "Good, good shooting or good power." <laughs> nice <laughs> so, shooting, Tex. Yeah. It's like, oh God. <laughs> powerful. <laughs> yes. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this powerful episode of the most powerful podcast ever created, the amazing pop culture podcast. We just ask you one thing. What is that, DJ Micah Rez? Oh, you have to follow us on social media. Yes. Follow us at Amazing Pop Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Instagram? And you, I did say Instagram. Oh, you did. Okay. And, yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, I don't. I'm a... <laughs> I was on my phone texting. <laughs> make, Typical. Make sure, and make sure you leave a review. Wherever you listen to this powerful podcast, leave a review. Five stars is the highest rating. If you do that, you will unlock the secrets of Micro DG Rez's cribbage boards. That's right. Yes. Oh, and powerful. before we leave, uh, I want to say, if you're listening, hey, thanks for listening, Tyler and Cece. Tyler and Cece. Yep, they know powerful. who they are. Thank you. Tyler and CC. please tell friends about our powerful podcast. <laughs> we need the world to find out. And until next time, you've just enjoyed the Amazing Pop Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Amazing Pop Culture Podcast. The Amazing Pop Culture Podcast is available everywhere fine podcasts are found. 
Please leave a rating and review where you listen to podcasts. Like and follow the Amazing Pop Culture Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And shop our Amazing Pop Culture merch. This has been an Amazing Pop Culture Podcast production.